Welcome to Journey to Esquire, the podcast. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, founder and president of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., the company behind this podcast and other great programs like Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program, which provides $2,000 cash scholarships to third-year law students and internships to second-year law students, along with leadership training and mentors. And Journey to Esquire, the blog, which provides insightful articles to help navigate you through law school and beyond. Find out more on our website, www.journeytoesquire.com. In this episode, we're going to hear from another great attorney. He's a Florida native, former Marine Corps JAG, past president of the Tampa Hispanic Bar Association and the Highland County Bar Association. He's also the force behind a local voluntary bar association retreat where all the local bar um, voluntary bar associations get together and brainstorm and coordinate. Very active in the legal community and in the community at large. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Andres and Oliveros. Hey, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, just like I'm doing now. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, my name is Andres Oliveros. I'm a sole practitioner at Oliveros Law. I decided to become a lawyer. Well, there's really multiple stages to that answer. At the very last stage, I decided to become a lawyer in my senior year of undergraduate because it was the least bad option. And I know that's not a very nice answer, but it's the truth. I had spent four years truly engaging myself completely in a liberal education. I was an Italian studies major, a double major in Italian studies and uh, literature mostly comparative literature. I was reading all sorts of texts, really thinking that I was destined to be a literature professor and that that's where my quote-unquote passion was and that's what I had to pursue. Before that though, rewind 20 years, ever since I was very young, I had thought that I wanted to be an attorney, probably for the wrong reasons, because the people that I knew that were attorneys were successful The people that I knew that were attorneys had the biggest houses I'd ever seen. They had the swimming pools in the back. They had the respect from my own parents and from other people that I respected. So it was something that, wow, I I had to aspire to. My parents are both in the medical field and I had other family members in the medical field. They were not really gung-ho on me going into the medical field. So, um, and I'm not saying that this is good or this is right, but... It just seems like lawyer and doctor, those two concepts go together like peas and carrots in our society. So if you're not going to be a doctor, you want to be successful, quote unquote, then you have to go be a lawyer. At the very, very, very beginning, that's where my desire to be a lawyer came from. But then, like I was saying, when I got to college, my mind, my world expanded. I studied abroad in Italy, lived there for an entire semester, perfecting my language skills and immersing myself in the culture more and more. And so I thought that I was destined for a life of scholarship. 
As it turns out, though, fast forwarding back, I did not get into many graduate programs because I did apply to PhD programs in literature. The one that I came the closest to going to was University of Southern California in LA. They flew me out there. I visited. I met the department heads. But ultimately, I guess you could say I chose the safe route or what I thought and that was the safe route. And I decided to accept the offers I had received from law schools because I was applying to law school concurrently. So I became a lawyer, ended up going to law school because, and this is, there's nothing romantic about this. And there's probably nothing right about this, but it's the truth. Again, I got into a better law school than, a, than graduate school and it was more highly ranked. And so I thought, well, Maybe God's trying to tell me something. Maybe this is really what I need to do because it's a more of a sure thing. And so uh, I ended up in law school. Once I decided that I was going to go to law school and I had already applied for me as it was for uh, my decision to go to college, uh, to which college to attend, it was very robotic. I was an automaton. I had to go to the highest rated school that I got into. That was it. GW in DC was the most highly ranked school that accepted me. So I had gone to college at Duke in North Carolina, which is about four hours, less than four hours from DC. I was able to visit and I was able to see that, that yeah, the campus was nice. DC seemed to be nice enough. And that's where I decided to go to school. The, the other thing that I think is important to mention, this may sound boastful to some people, that's absolutely not how I intended it at all. I was extremely fortunate and extremely, extremely blessed to have a set of parents who were going to pay for any school that I wanted to go to. This whole thing about being so important to go to the highest rated, highest ranked school really did come from my parents, of course. They were, they were in a position to and were willing pay for my graduate school as well. So the reason why I mention that is because I understand that very, very, very few people are in that position. Something that is incredibly important and had I not been in that position, you bet that I would have looked extremely closely at what things cost, what it was, what it would be costing me after I graduated from law school to repay loans because that's, that's an enormous consideration. So recognize that I had the luxury of saying, of not really worrying about that part of it because I knew and my dad had already told me that that he would pay for it he wouldn't pay for a second career but he would certainly pay for the first one uh, so uh, that's why it didn't matter where the school was to me at least uh, so long as it was a school that was hopefully highly highly ranked I wouldn't say that I really enjoyed law school <laughs> for many different reasons. A lot of them, frankly, were probably due to my inability to kind of see what was coming and really prepare myself for the type of teaching that is done uh, in most law schools, um, certainly at uh, GW. We had brilliant, brilliant professors. I still think about them, their analysis, their intelligence, how astute they were, and just the, the, the mental acuity is just uh, amazing, still amazes me. When I go back to think of some of the things we discussed in class, I don't fault them, but it's really just the way that I expected to learn in law school was something that I was not expecting and was not used to at all. So I think that you have to 
familiarize yourself with that, I think, as much as possible. Know that you're not going to be spoon-fed anything in class, at least in the core the core classes. Uh, if you do the clinics, participate in other types of seminars, I think that you get more of that, let's say, college or uh, university type of uh, instruction. But certainly in, in your uh, core uh, law school curriculum, the one that we all receive, 1L year, and then the many classes, your second and third year, you're not going to be told this is what you need to know. This is uh, the black letter law. Uh, let me write it up on the chalkboard and let me underline the things that are going to be on the exam. None of that exists. You have a ton of reading. The reading is mostly case law, of course, and you are not going to um, very few things uh, in the cases that you read are there to teach you uh, in a way that a textbook would if you were learning uh, biology in college, maybe. You are supposed to think your way through it, analyze, and uh, come to certain conclusions uh, from the cases that you read. And then when you get to class, of course, in the lecture hall, you're being asked questions to make you think even deeper about the situations that could be associated with what's happening in those cases. To kind of get at the edges of the law, at the edges of what the core fundamental principles are that you should be uh, learning and taking with you without actually teaching you in point blank what those core fundamental principles are because you should have already learned that the night before. You should have already taught yourself that by reading the cases. So that paradigm shift to me was brutal and it wasn't really until I graduated that I realized what had happened. And then of course, knowing that the entirety of your grade for that whole class is based on one three-hour exam at the end uh, is something that I never really came to terms with. Because of all of that, I didn't, I really just can't say that I was able to enjoy law school. And in, in the background, of course, you are constantly feeling the pressure to make the A's because those are the people that are getting hired for the quote-unquote good jobs. Those are the people that are getting uh, that are making their path towards a quote-unquote successful life um, that you see your peers aspiring to. So you think that you yourself should aspire to those things. But gosh darn it, if I am not in the top 10%, as 90% of us were not, then, oh my gosh, what, what, what does that mean for me? And how capable I am, how successful I'll be, how happy I'll be with my life. That starts to get into your head if you let it. It very easily uh, causes a lot of that unhappiness in, in law school, which I definitely experienced. So uh, my journey afterwards, of course, is completely different. Um, after I left law school, uh, everything completely changed uh, for many different reasons. Um, but regarding my time, those three years in school, not a time that I look back very fondly on. The point of going to law school is to somehow be employed afterwards, I think, for most of us. So very early on, that is a huge concern. You know that uh, you're either spending a lot of money to go to school, your parents are spending a lot of money for you to go to school, somebody's paying a lot of money for this to happen. So 
it's natural to feel that it better produce a lot of money, meaning you better produce a lot of money with this investment that's being made on your behalf. So like I was saying earlier, that was one of the biggest pressures for me at the very, very beginning and throughout. But I was able to find the Marine Corps, or in some ways, maybe the Marine Corps found me in my second year as a 2L. I really was not uh, seeing myself going to a big firm or somewhere where I thought I'd be in a high-pressure environment, especially there in D.C. It seems like all the jobs there kind of lead towards that path. Um, even the private sector as a lobbyist or something, I just felt that, gosh, I'm going to have this law degree. I'm going to be working 90 hours a week. I'm going to have no no family life, no home life. I might make some money, but I'm going to be miserable, just like all these other people that seem to be unhappy with their lives <laughs> and show it. Um, and that just wasn't me. I had a friend from high school who was a Marine Corps officer and who had told me, Andres, you know, and, and we yeah, I confided in, in him quite a bit. He said, Andres, join the Marine Corps. We have a JAG program and you can do something completely different, but still use your law degree. And I laughed in his face. <laughs> Me? Join the military? I don't come from a military family. And like I had already said, I was fortunate enough to have my, have my school paid for. So I wasn't in a debt position. The conventional thinking is, of course, well, why would I voluntarily go down that path? I don't quote unquote have to do that. Like so many of the people quote unquote have to do that. I really rejected the idea immediately, but the more miserable I became in school, certainly the more attractive that option uh, seemed. And I went and saw the recruiter, did the preliminary paperwork, and then before I knew it, I was already slated to go to officer candidate school, which for the Marines uh, is in Quantico, Virginia, 45 minutes away from D.C., so it was very, very uh, nearby. So the summer between my second and third year, I went to officer candidate school, which is like the basic training for officers. What really attracted me to the Marine Corps early on and throughout uh, my time, my active duty time, is that the attorneys, the pilots, the logisticians, whatever your specialty is, you all go through the same basic training. You learn to fire the same weapon systems. You jump out of the same helicopters. You learn urban combat like an infantryman would. For the six months plus of that training, you're not doing anything legal, so to speak. You're not, you're not doing anything law-related. You're learning how to be a rifleman. You're learning how to be a uh, rifle platoon commander. Uh, and I loved it. I loved it. Uh, you're there with all the other men and women who are training uh, and then would follow on to do whatever specialty they were going to do. And for me, of course, that eventually meant I'd be a lawyer, um, a judge advocate uh, at some unit somewhere around the world. But for those six months plus the time in officer candidate school, you're doing something completely, completely different. It's rigorous. It was tough. Of course, many times you, you just think your body's not going to hold up, but it tests you and it forms you. I wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for the world. After I graduated, you, you have to take the bar still before you begin the, the basic officer's course. So I took the, the Florida bar because 
I'm from Florida. I grew up in Florida. I knew that if at some point I were to leave the Marine Corps, chances were that I'd come back to Florida. And that was, that was a good bet because, uh, as it turns out, I did come back to Florida. Because of my, my choice to go to the Marine Corps, I didn't really have much of a job search, so to speak. I had to make sure that I was meeting all the requirements uh, for the Marine Corps and going through the, the whole interview process, uh, the whole in-processing, all the evaluations that they do. And most of that was taking place my 2L year. Um, but once I went to officer candidate school, I passed officer candidate school after my 2L year. When I was a 3L, I knew that really all I had to do was not fail out of school, number one. Number two, pass the bar. And then I would begin my active duty contract. When I was in the Marine Corps, I spent two years doing criminal prosecutions, and I was uh, what we call a trial counsel. Got a lot of trial courtroom experience. It was excellent, just the very best thing I could have asked for, being a young attorney, trying cases. And then my clients essentially were uh, unit commanders. It was excellent. I also, during that time, I should mention, I was deployed to Iraq as an operations law attorney. So for six months in Baghdad, I was on the legal team that advised the, the general uh, of uh, multinational force Iraq uh, was the command at the time, the highest command in theater, advised him on targeting uh, law of war, uh, rules of engagement, etc. That was just an amazing experience, something that will never happen to me again, but which I'm very fortunate to have had. So when I got out of the military, I'd already met my wife or the, the woman who would become my wife, and I knew that we were going to get married. And it was only because of that that I uh, decided to just finish out my contract with the Marines. She's a, a foreign-born, and I knew that it would be very difficult to remain deployed constantly and maintain my marriage, my eventual marriage. Uh, so I decided to finish out the contract, and I moved back. To, uh, we got married, and we moved back to Sebring, to uh, Highlands County, where I grew up. I worked with a lawyer who at the time was uh, doing a lot of local government law. And after about a year, I just became motivated to open my firm. I got to, I had made several friends uh, in the area, one particular attorney in Tampa who had also just gotten out of the JAG uh, a year prior, had uh, told me that it was really not too complicated to come and open up your office. And this was right around the time that the bottom was falling out from the economy. Uh, everything that maybe at one point had been pretty easy was no longer easy. So I came to Tampa and I started working out of our one-bedroom apartment. We had no savings, barely had enough to put the money down for the deposit and then the security and all that for the new apartment. And my wife didn't have a job at the time. Um, she had worked in accounting uh, for big corporations, but again, uh, this was the beginning of 2008. No one was hiring, so it was very, very difficult. I worked out of an executive office where I would meet clients in a conference room, and I had my mailbox there, but essentially I was answering my own cell phone. That was my quote-unquote office phone. I would try to meet clients in jail. I was doing criminal defense because although I never did criminal defense in the military, it was still in the criminal realm, and I was very familiar with that. So I did criminal defense probably for a total of five years, probably 
within a year of having opened my office, I had my aunt, my great aunt, get rear-ended in a pretty bad accident in Sebring. Everyone turned to me. They knew I had just opened my office and said, Andres, you can handle this, can't you? And still having all of those professional responsibility uh, classes <laughs> and those lectures seared into my head, the first thing I thought was, oh my goodness, I'm not competent. Can I get myself competent in this field? Gosh, I don't know. But family being family, they just twisted my arm and said, come on, of course, you please do this for us. I took the case and I was fortunate enough to have several guardian angels, I call them, here in Tampa, friends that I'd already made, attorney friends, who were able to assist me, help me with documents, uh, set me on the right path to concluding that case successfully. After that one came another one, and then another one, and then several more. And even though at that point I was doing uh, bankruptcy filings, I was uh, doing social security disability claims, I was even doing some family law, because the personal injury practice picked up so much, I was able to uh, let everything else go, not take any of those cases, any more of those cases, and just focus entirely on plaintiff's personal injury. I've just felt so much more at peace knowing what I know, staying away from what I don't. The number one piece of advice that I would offer for anyone considering law school is to get really intimate with what the financial impact is going to be on your life period. There are so many vehicles to do that. Go online, see what interest rate the loan you're considering is going to have, what those payments are going to be afterwards. Don't have this pie in the sky mentality. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to work out in the end. No, you need to know exactly how much that's going to hurt because it does hurt. Your decision on where to go to school and how to do it needs to be based on that. The other thing, of course, is something that I did not do. I didn't sit in on a class. I didn't go visit the, the school and actually talk to students. You need to hear from actual students who are going to give you the unvarnished truth and let you know exactly how it's going to, uh, what it's going to feel like, how it's going to pan out for you afterwards from their point of view. You just, you can't talk to enough people, enough students this is going to be something that's going to shape your, uh, your life, whether you end up practicing law or not. Uh, you're going to end up with the debt. You're going to end up having to deal with that. Having done bankruptcy claims, I know that student loans are not dischargeable. You can't simply just throw up your arms and say, oh, well, I couldn't do it. Let's get it all wiped out. No, it doesn't work that way. It can have a significant impact on your life. The other thing then, of course, is to think about and it doesn't mean that you have to know what kind of law you're going to do afterwards or how you're going to use your law degree, but at least start to think about that. Start to see how your projected career path, what you think you want to do, how that is going to allow you to repay those loans or not repay those loans. We had a joke at GW that every first-year law student says they're going to go into public interest law and that when the rubber meets the road and you see how incredibly difficult it is to make ends meet given the loans that are crushing you all of a sudden that's no longer what everybody wants to do you don't have to have your entire life mapped out and you're not a failure just because you didn't follow that career path that you thought you were going to follow 
on day one, but it does help to at least have some type of plan to already have thought of where you might end up, how you might get there, and to see if uh, financially that's going to be possible for you. You're listening to Journey to Esquire, the podcast where we explore the best ways to promote diversity, create access, and feed the legal pipeline with talented students of all backgrounds. Here are some guidance from today's guest. In addition to handling your caseload, doing your work, satisfying your clients, going about your everyday I think it's so important to make the most of the position that we as attorneys hold uh, in our societies and to promote, celebrate the differences that we have, if only to make it easier for others to get to where they would like to go, what they may aspire to be. I think that there are many things that make my journey different. And I would hope that by sharing those, by people being aware of those things, that it expands their outlook, um, perhaps makes it more apparent that different people with many differences can still achieve things that they want to achieve. For me, uh, especially when I went off to college, coming from a small town, coming from a public school that I don't know what rating it had. It was just a, it was a very rural place. Um, there's only one local public high school, and that's the one I went to. Um, that was uh, uncommon for me at college at Duke. And then, again, I would say uh, law school at GW. Um, and um, uh, that's, that's a difference. Um, secondly, I'm the son of two Colombian immigrants. Um, that is also not the norm and probably something that is uh, not expected when you meet, uh, when you meet someone like me. Um, having gone on to the places that I've gone on to. The third thing, I think, is the fact that I served in the military. <clears throat> um, again, we, we many times have this perception that someone who's gone to the military, which, thank goodness, in our day and age is a voluntary decision, that that person... Uh, somehow probably couldn't cut it or maybe just didn't have any other option and gosh, they just had to go to the military Um, or that uh, something, another stereotype would be, oh, this is just a commando macho man, Uh, probably had something to prove, goes around with a chip on their shoulder kind of thing. And whether we admit it or not, uh, those are the stereotypes that are kind of there lurking in the back of our mind. 
when we hear that uh, someone's a veteran or that someone went off to war, uh, etc. Um, I'm not saying it's always like that, but I think it's safe to say that that, that plays a, a part. So uh, those of us, and it doesn't have to be just the fact that I came from a small town in the middle of nowhere, that I'm Hispanic, uh, that I, I'm a military veteran. It can be any number of different things that make uh, a certain person uh, different or outside of the norm in many respects. But I think it's critical for those of us that have uh, that have been privileged enough to call ourselves attorneys now, um, practicing uh, for a, a substantial period of time, to conduct ourselves in a way that lets others know that this is normal and that people from these places or with these attributes can achieve um, can achieve so many different things in our society. And some of those actions are, I think, uh, conscious actions or let's say uh, direct actions. Others can be more passive or more indirect. Um, my participation in voluntary bar work and in uh, statewide bar activities, uh, I think, have been critical in that regard. And um, uh, I would like to think that by showing my willingness to serve in these organizations, the Tampa Hispanic Bar Association, the Tampa Hispanic Bar Foundation, the Highlands County Bar Association, Highlands County Bar Foundation, and also uh, the Statewide Diversity and Inclusion Committee, of the Florida Bar that uh, uh, it sets an example for other people and hopefully other young people who may see themselves as uh, different or as less able or as less qualified um, or somehow pigeonholed into some, some, uh, some corner um, to say, you know what? Uh, no, the, the, the fact that I am this or that or that I have suffered through this or the other thing doesn't mean that I'm not able to do what it is that I, uh, that I have set out to achieve. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to one of the law students in the Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program. My name is Anna Leonard, and I am a Journey to Esquire scholar, as well as a third-year law student at Stetson University College of Law. I have known that I wanted to be a lawyer pretty early on since grade school. One year, we had a career day at school where various presenters spoke to the class about their careers. One of those presenters was a lawyer, and hearing her share her story and experience and how she impacted her community really sparked my interest in the law. Over the years, as I kept my mind focused on going to law school and becoming a lawyer, I have enjoyed reading and writing and fighting for those who do not have a voice or resources to do so. I want to become a practicing lawyer so that I am able to apply my skills on areas of law that I enjoy, while also helping and being a resources to those in my community or beyond who may need the help. 
The Journey to Esquire program is truly special to me. I am a first-generation college student and a first-generation law student. Being a first-generation student has its challenges, especially in law school, and the Journey to Esquire program has provided me with resources and the tools that I need to succeed in law school and especially thereafter while practicing law. Providing modules on legal writing, networking, or tips and tricks of what you should do to pass the bar and succeed in classes are a few of the many things that this program has provided me with. Jocelyn has dedicated so much time and hard work to this program in an effort to provide us with the resources needed to succeed while in law school and thereafter when entering the practice of law. For that, I am truly grateful to her, and I look forward to become a practicing attorney soon and being able to contribute to the program as an attorney for future students who will also need the resources and be able to benefit from them. Thank you. We just passed the mic to attorney Andres Alaveros. In his time with us, he left us with two key takeaways. Number one, consider the different loan repayment options while choosing a law school. Number two, stigmas and stereotypes about military veterans. Journey to Esquire would like to thank attorney Alaveros for taking the time out to be a part of this podcast. We encourage our listeners to read the show notes attached to this episode for more information about the guest and the organizations mentioned. I'd like to give a special thanks to all of our supporters, especially our JD-level sponsors, U.S. District Courts, Middle District of Florida's Bench Bar Fund, and Agape Christian Bar Preparation Services, Inc. for their generous support. I'd also like to thank WMU Cooley Law School, Tampa Bay Campus, for providing a space for the recording of several of the episodes of this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode of Journey to Esquire, the podcast. Support, share, subscribe. And for more, visit www.journeytoesquire.com.